0: The following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Okay, should we set a time limit?
1: It may be the best idea if we're going to make it out with only a bag full.
0: So, an hour?
1: Is that realistic?
0: You're right. Two hours.
1: That sounds fair. Remember, the cell service isn't good in there, so we have to rely on our whistle system.
0: Never fails. I'm going to mainly be on the main floor and the basement of the Strand. Probably the main floor the most.
1: I'll be on the main and second floor myself. Also, we need to pop upstairs to get a book for Christmas for our goddaughter.
0: Ah, yes. Thanks for the reminder.
1: All right. Well, here we go.
0: I know, I'm scared too. There's just so much I want inside.
1: Be strong, my love. Be strong. Hi, everyone welcome to stage whisper i'm your host hope bird and with me is my co-host andrew cortez
0: today we are going to be discussing the tense drama skylight
1: so hurry and take your seats it looks like the show is starting
0: hello everyone and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. You give them an environment where they feel they can grow, but also make bloody sure you challenge them. And we hope we are able to challenge you and help you grow while we discuss today's brilliant revival, Skylight. This emotional
1: journey burst onto the Great White Way and forced audiences to deal with hard truths and shared experiences.
0: But before we visit old memories and past relationships, we must first investigate our groundwork.
1: Skylight premiered in May 1995 at the Cotslow Theatre, National Theatre, directed by Richard Eyre and starring Michael Gambon and Leah Williams. The production moved to the Windhams Theatre for a short run from February 13, 1996, Again, with Gambon and Williams.
0: Both actors appeared in the Broadway transfer from September to December 1996. Both earned Tony Award nominations for their performances, as well as I as Director and the play as Best Play. The play won the New York Drama Critics Circle Award as Best Forum Play. The play won the 1996 Laurence Olivier Award for Play of the Year.
1: On June thirtieth, nineteen ninety-seven, the play opened at London's Vaudeville Theatre with Bill Nye in his first starring role and Stella Gonet, directed by Iyer. It ran through October eleventh,
0: nineteen ninety-seven. A new production, directed by Stephen Daldry, and starring Carrie Mulligan, Nye reprising the part he had first performed in nineteen ninety-seven, and Matthew Beard opened at the Windhams Theater in June 2014. The play was broadcast live, or near live, to cinema audiences via National Theater Live on the 17th of July, 2014. For this show,
1: we will be talking about the 2015 Broadway revival, which makes this the perfect time to introduce our design team.
0: The playwright is David Hare, director Stephen Daldry, Set and Costume Design by Bob Crowley, Lighting Design by Natasha Katz, Sound Design, Paul Arditti, and Composer, Paul Englishby.
1: The show arrived at the John Golden Theatre on April second, two 2015, where it played to nearly sold-out crowds for a limited run of 85 performances, closing on June twenty first, 2015.
0: The show has gone on to be produced internationally, including two productions in Canada, one in Australia and a version in Chinese in Hong Kong.
1: The 2015 Broadway Revival would be nominated for several Tony Awards that season and would leave that evening winning one for Best Revival of a Play.
0: So let us dive into this complicated world of our story.
1: East London school teacher, Kira Hollis, is surprised by her former lover's son, Edward Sargent, at her slum apartment. He hopes she will reconcile with his distraught, now widowed father.
0: Kira had been living with the Sargent family years earlier, but left after her affair with Tom Sargent was discovered by Tom's wife.
1: Edward now accuses Kira of having left him as well, as he saw her as a big sister and he demands to know why she left his life.
0: Shortly thereafter, Tom, who is a restless, self-made restaurant and hotel tycoon, arrives later that evening unaware of his son's visit.
1: Kira, who was his invaluable business associate and close family friend, has since found a vocation teaching underprivileged children. Kira's less-than-glamorous lifestyle leads him to poke fun at her to the point of insult, accusing her of self-punishment.
0: After Kira cooks a spaghetti dinner, which the actress cooks on stage, the talks turn to their relationship.
1: It becomes clear that their chances to be rekindled rests on whether one of them can change preconceived notions of the other. Is the gap between them unabridgable, or can they resurrect their relationship? The The end. end.
0: So now let's talk about the parts that we liked and maybe we didn't like. And the fact that I I'm didn't I'm so see proud
1: of you, Andrew. Uh, it's my...
0: It's my Christmas gift. You mean your Hanukkah gift. My holiday gift. Whatever you want.
1: Uh, thank you so much.
0: Anything. Anything for the coals, Anything <laughs> for the worth it.
1: So focusing back on Skylight. I
0: absolutely love this show. This was like a surprise for me. For this year, so this is two thousand fifteen, and this is another year where we literally we just bought tickets to every Broadway show, regardless of whatever the story was about. Didn't matter, just bought it, and I had no idea what the show was about going into it. Um, I just knew that Bill Nye was in it, and I was like, of course, Love Actually, Bill Nye, you know. Well,
1: and I love Carrie Mulligan,
0: and see, I didn't know who she was, and I believe. All I knew about her uh was she what uh the 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 Great Gatsby.
1: Yeah, so she was in The Great Gatsby and they had begun to advertise that Suffragette was going to right, be coming out right, 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 right. and she was going to be starring in that.
0: Right. So see for me Bill Nye if if the between the two at that time, you know, back in 2015 was the attraction for me. Now and- ha- now now present day I've seen Carrie Mulligan and other things now, and I'm like, oh my gosh, Carrie Mulligan. For the win. For mm-hmm. the win. She is just such a chameleon. But not knowing what the show is about, the story, or anything like that, this show really just absolutely took me for a whirlwind. It was emotional. It was complex. And it really addressed real-world situations. And I love that, because it was a real... Relation. It was a real relationship on stage, like that. what that that could have been anyone's story, from anywhere that existed.
1: Well, and parts that I really appreciated. For one, I was excited to see Carrie Mulligan, and I couldn't remember who Bill Nye was. Um, you kept telling me I knew who he was, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking but about. Then when
0: you saw the clip from at the Tonys when they show the brief thing of it, mm-hmm. and they they show when she's making spaghetti and he talks to her, you immediately went, oh
1: well exactly but I loved the son like I loved Edward and Kira's relationship just how they talked because for me you never really hear about uh, like other family members involved in a cheater story and so getting to get that that insight of the boy's reaction because he's like this is a close family friend you know and I mean I understand like
0: I think it's it's more complicated though because the mother has passed. Mm-hmm. So I think if it was before the mother passed, that situation would have been different. So for instance, I don't think that he knew that that Kira and his dad, Tom, were having an affair.
1: No, because remember, it was brought out in the beginning of the show that like when his when uh, Tom's wife found out that they were having an affair, it was it was very public known to the family because they were like no get out you can't live here anymore this is not okay so he knew but he also didn't know like why that meant she had to stop talking to him.
0: Right but what I'm saying is if he had been I feel like if he had been older understood the dynamics of what an affair in a family means or kind of thing he may not have had that same relationship and then Mm -hmm. with the wife having passed and his father just being distraught and destroyed I think Edward is reaching out to Kira because it's one of those, well, what you made my father happy and what harm can come from bringing you back into our life and our world. If you made my father happy and all I want is my father happy, why not bring you in? You can't, the the person that you hurt the most, who was my mother, is no longer here. So you can't hurt anyone with this. And that's why I find this story just so incredibly complex and fascinating because it is that you know when um they 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 had a lot of these kind of stories especially in the 80s on sitcoms where you kind of have the married man and the married woman kind of sneaking out to to have an affair Mm -hmm. but once like the man agrees to leave his wife or whatever something like that it's like well now I kind of don't want this because the fun really wasn't, you know, the the rush of, of trying not to be caught. Now that it's okay, it's just not there. And so now we're taking it away from almost being like a child, like a, a, a school crush kind of thing. And really putting it into a real world like, well, what if... What if you could try to salvage that love that you had? Mm-hmm. You had there was n- nothing stopping you. It was a complete do-over. What if you could... What would happen? How could both parties kind of proceed? And it's that great question being asked. And we're watching it play out. And what was what to me was really great about the show is, you know, both are flawed characters. I mean, she broke up a household in a way, especially because Tom's wife was incredibly sick while she was having this affair. Mm -hmm.
1: Edward was relying on her for a lot.
0: Right. But then also Tom is kind of a scoundrel kind of a douche, you know. You've got these two flawed characters. You can't get behind one or the other. So you're literally sitting back and you're watching this and you're like, I want to know how this goes. You're more invested in the relationship than in the person. Yeah. Where in in stories that involve affairs or trysts or something, you're on one side or the other. This is completely more about... The relate the relationship almost becomes a character of itself mm-hmm. that you're more involved in, and you want to make sure that the relationship is done right by. I, I I want to add that the thing that made that relationship, I think, such a real character is the connection that was formed between Bill Nye and Kerry Mulligan. It just seemed so strong and so real. That's one of the reasons why I love Kerry Mulligan's stage work. You know, it it is not; it did not feel overly acted. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But there was—you really felt what? I, okay, I know what I'm trying to say. You could, Bill Nye was playing a brilliant character that was out for us to see, while Carrie Mulligan was playing this brilliant underneath. Versus what was being said,
1: she was giving us great subtext.
0: Right. there was this great connection between the two that even when they weren't facing each other there was responses happening there was a brilliant conversation and that and 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 a lot of those moments where they weren't facing each other came because and this is one thing i liked and we mentioned it in the um synopsis i mean pretty much the entire first act carrie mulligan kira is making spaghetti and she was making spaghetti
1: yeah, like she was making the like the, um, the, sauce. the sauce from scratch.
0: And it was not what I expected sauce to be because we were watching her chop up vegetables and that. And so, of course, it was like, cool, tomatoes, onions, and then carrots. And I was like, what? A ragu. That's the word I was thinking of mm. when we were doing our sound check. Like, she was making a ragu of sorts, but I was, like, expecting her to throw peas or something in there. It was just, as an American, I was kind of confused by it. Because, you know, we don't make our own sauce, but our, if we did, tomatoes, garlic, you know, where are the carrots? I don't know. And she had peppers, too, I believe, in it. Uh, which, peppers did not throw me for a bit. It was the carrot. But she actually made these. On a really old, dirty-looking stove. Yeah,
1: there was boiling water. There, you could smell That's... the meat cooking. You could smell the vegetables cooking. That's exactly
0: it. That's the thing. It's, most shows that we see when they use food, there's no real cooking. Like they just throw it there and it's there. But I just remember, you know, when you cook raw meat, beef, mm-hmm. there's just there's like a sour taste at first or scent mm-hmm. to it a little. I remember that coming, like, wafting through the theater. And I was like, oh, my God. She is actually cooking that. And then when the sauce came and I was like, I'm so hungry right now for spaghetti. Yeah. And I was like, they really just made a whole thing of spaghetti right there in the first act. hmm What? So, with that.
1: Why don't we move on to the set?
0: To our little boxes. Yes. Look, I didn't sing it again. Oh my gosh, who are you? Well, again, my gift to you. But next week, don't expect it. So, we were talking about the stove and whatnot. And all of that's part of this amazing set that just beautifully portrays this dense inner city London flat. It almost has this circa 1970s architecture, that cement. It feels very much
1: like the... um Lower East Side housing pro- projects in well, New York. Right,
0: so it feels like the, uh, it's called um, brutalism or postmodernism. So... Where it was
1: more about, like, quantity of homes available rather than quality of homes Functionality
0: available. versus... Yeah. So the best way to put this in your mind is it's a lot of cement. Um, think think communist uh, Russia. Mm-hmm. That Soviet block kind of thing, where they just had these giant cement blocks with tons of apartments, that's brutalism, that's postmodernism. As I understand, if we have architects listening and you want to correct us, go for it. But that's my understanding. So, in my opinion, in my artistic opinion, it's absolutely ugly as all get out. Um, but it, you know, there are these giant, you know, like 100 apartments in one rectangular building. And there's eight buildings right there, and you can, and everyone can see everyone.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it really just helped to set that mood that this is just one story in a block of billions.
0: Right, and it, when they when they typically try to show dense inner cities, this is the kind of thing where you can smell everyone's cooking from everywhere, and everyone can like lean out and see everyone's everything. You don't really have privacy. You have like your you know twenty five by fifty, whatever, flat. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not a fancy, nice apartment by any means at all. Um, and it had that, it, it even looked dated and used and, I, and it's not necessarily like poor. The, the
1: word I would use is definitely, um, used. Like it's just something that once it, it hasn't really been, um,
0: she's like, not the first, and she's, she's not Yeah,
1: the it's not a fixer upper. Like it's basically, you can tell that. It's the same door that's been there since they built it. It's the, the same The walls are
0: the same paint. The floors are the same floor. Yeah. That and, this, and like we had mentioned with the spaghetti, the appliances look like the ones that came with the apartment building. You know? It's
1: exactly. And so it's it's more of a it's not I mean, I would say it's a realistic pour because she keeps the house clean. The house is clean, it's not falling apart. It's just, you know, there's it's been worn on the hinges, the walls, the doors, the cabinets, the light switches. You can just see that it's been worn because it's been used yeah, for so yeah, long. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and it just But everything also behind it just feels almost dirty and unattended. You you just feel like inner city. And not that that's there's anything wrong with inner city, but you just you can feel that that grime, I guess, that comes from living in the city. Mm-hmm. Um so that I love that that existed. You throw in a, like a layer of fog in there, and like we're set. That's totally London.
1: Well, and also to kind of bounce off of that, um, you have Carrie herself or Akira. Kira. Who, Kira. Who, Kira Yeah, you know. Um, who also look worn down. And I think this is a good play to pass into the costumes. Oh, yes. Because she also looked worn down by her environment. You know, not the nicest of clothes. I mean, they weren't bad by any means. She had,
0: like, these relaxed, just, like, sweaters and things. She looked comfy. Well, okay. So, follow me on this line of thought. So, Bill Nye Tom, was, you know, in these suits, these nice suits. And he's a tycoon, right? Where Carrie was in, like, this beautiful purple sweater. And I think she was more comfy. Now, yes, it is her apartment. It's her flat. So, she should look more comfortable. That does make sense. But also, I feel like... She didn't come home and change. Mm-hmm. She came home and that—that probably was what she wore to work. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have nice clothes to just, you know, g- she doesn't have a job or nice clothes to go out and just wear fancy outfits too, like Bill Nye does.
1: Right, or she she doesn't anymore.
0: Right, uh, you know, I kind of feel the same way. Where I have like button-up dress shirts, I have some ties and that. I mean, I've worn ties the most in my life this last year than all of the years combined. Mm -hmm. You know, I wear, I I tend to wear a button up shirt when I go to like Broadway. But with, I mean, a lot of the other theater I go to, I don't wear button up shirts. I don't wear nice clothes. I'll say like my super nice clothes. I don't bust those out. Um, But like with some of the galas we've been invited to or the Tonys, like I've had people ask, well, are you going to go get a tux now? are you gonna I'm like, I don't... One, I don't make that kind of money. Two, I don't live in a place that requires that. And three, I don't have a job that requires like a nice three-piece suit or a tux or something. No. If I ever had to go somewhere that needed a tux, I'd rent it. I identify more with Kira where I'm like, I just wear relaxed clothing where I need to go because that's the job I have. Mm-hmm. Not with Tom where he's wearing these nice suits. So you get their... Not only their social standing, I guess, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, but also their state of mind. hmm Well... Um, because I feel like Kira is being very open and honest. Here I am, where I feel like the way that Tom is dressed, with all those layers and flashy fabrics and that, it's meant to distract you because Tom can never be happy or at peace or have what he wants until he's honest with himself. Mm-hmm. And he's not being him and he tries to distract and deflect with humor and wit and jabs and things. Well, and I feel like the costume did a great job in, in doing that.
1: Well, and that's one thing that I really appreciate about costume designers, especially when they're doing something for a modern period, is what kind of story do these do the clothing tell? You know, because for... Like a show like *Lame* is, oh, it's obvious to tell who's rich and who's poor. Right. You know, and that's not really the life we live anymore. So how does our costume or our day-to-day clothing, what stories does that infer about us as a personality trait? Right. You know, and so the fact that Kira's, you know, she has this cardigan on and she rolls up her sleeves, you know, and it's this loose knit. But she's like, I still need to be warm. You know, I have on these nice pants, but I have loafers on. You know, or my hair is just pulled back into a ponytail. Right. Or it's, you know, short and just kind of out of the way. Whereas, like, you know, Bill is more, it, it is more of that, like, let me display to you. I have cufflinks. I have a briefcase. I have a jacket, tie, pants Uh, He didn't know
0: where to put his jacket when he took it off. Yeah,
1: and so even, you know, so just using how the clothing is worn to tell that story is also, you know, because like you said, like having that open cardigan shows that she really does have she's starting to share her heart on her sleeve she's wearing it open she's open chested she has nothing to hide whereas he comes in he has his jacket buttoned up and it's like oh well what do I do with this jacket now and there's too much thought into it and it's, it's a brilliant way to let the costumes speak about what's inferred about their personalities. Right. And
0: Bob Crowley, who did the costume design, also did the scenic design. So those two design elements were definitely going hand in hand, speaking the same language and feeding off of each other to really add to this world Mm -hmm. so much more. You know, Tom definitely stuck out like a sore thumb, but also it was like, yeah, but you also kind of belong here, Mm -hmm. you dirty, rotten scoundrel. You put this woman here. You should be here with her. You shouldn't act like you're higher than this. That's the one thing I do remember as we learned about the story. I was like, you may dress that way and you may look and act that way, but it's because of your actions as well that she's here and you should be here with her. If mm-hmm. you, as he's like, I love you, I care about you. And it's like, well, then you need to be here with her. Why aren't you in the same situation as her? Or why don't you do better or do right by her? Well,
1: and also it's like, why would a an affair completely ruin a woman, but not a man? But not a man.
0: Smash the patriarchy is all I'm saying. Speaking of things that need to be smashed, I don't know. That's a terrible lead-in, but we should. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we should smash the lights. Yeah,
0: and just like that, we lost tons of followers who were lighting designers, and, and light
1: are like, those operators. things are expensive.
0: They're amazing. I haven't found myself really taking in and looking at lighting instruments lately, and being like, "Huh, hmm, I need to talk." Well, to, to someone.
1: think how we've we've progressed with lighting instruments, well, the things we've done that's with them, what I'm and it all started as just you know, um, like they say in the in the Phantom of the Opera, we just need a little illumination. Well, and
0: I mean, just the actual the actual instruments. Seeing how just in the last few years they've really progressed, I would love to sit down with someone in the field of lighting and just pick their brain because I'm constantly fascinated with the way shows are lit with the different instruments and whatnot then i'm like when i took that few week crash course in college about lighting years ago Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it's come a long way so i'm i'm really fascinated to know like
1: well, and even just, like, seeing some of my friends who are lighting designers or lighting designers who, um, you know, are doing community theater stuff or seeing, like, what our friend who is at Yale at graduate school for lighting design is doing. Shout out,
0: David DeCoralis.
1: Yes. You know, just seeing the different things that they come through and seeing how they progress as artists, too, is just... Because it, it's a world that I don't understand. Like, you, give me someone's hair. I could, you know... Give it's you the a things map I see can't when do that the, with like. going
0: on that you just it doesn't you don't notice it or
1: you didn't even think to think about what the effects would be.
0: But when I've seen a show multiple times, I start to notice like, oh, there's a light they're being lit from the front, but then there's a switch where it lights them from the back for that finale, and oh my gosh, it just changed
1: mm-hmm.
0: how that completely finished and the the meaning I got behind it, and all it did was change the lighting. But I didn't think about that, and if I was a director, I might not have thought of that. But a lighting designer is totally like. Watch this. How does that end that number a bit differently? or you know mm-hmm. anyway we're we're getting on a whole nother tangent because we wanted to talk about, you know, Natasha Katz, who I guess she would inspire this conversation. She's an incredible lighting designer. She's done so many great things. She just won the Tony for m j right well, and she's done
1: so many different types of shows. The fact that she can do something like. MJ, and then do this. this. You know, (laughs) she is just a a chameleon who really knows how to use lights to help further the story. Yeah.
0: Again, another character in Mm -hmm. the show.
1: Right. Well, because here's the thing. This is a play. It's not going to change the way that lighting is done because it's a realism play. Like, it's a realistic show. We don't have
0: music or anything to invoke big changes. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's So it's all about gonna... the
1: art of subtlety
0: with right. this well, kind of lighting. Like, you've got to have a reason for lighting changes in place. I know that sounds very like, well, duh. But I mean, seriously, when you see as many shows as we do, there are times when you're like, why are we changing the lights?
1: There, yeah, every once in a while you're like, why is it getting darker? Are we
0: changing the lights just to change the lights?
1: Right, but that's not what this show did.
0: No, it was a great use of shadows and dim lighting. It, it was not a bright show by any means of imagining. No,
1: nor should it have been with no. the content.
0: No. I love that when there was color, there's always color in a show. But the, the hues you got particularly, and it was in the background mainly.
1: Mm. It was blues
0: and purples. And I like the blues because you got that sadness.
1: Yes. And the
0: purples, though, gave what? that romance. That well, like, that, that complex. Wonder. Exactly that. It was that that trying to turn that purple into red to relight that romance. But like you said, it was it was complex because it still had that overbearing sadness from it. Mm-hmm. So I love that those were the two colors that were selected to be used. I feel like if red got used, it wouldn't come across as love. It would have been anger. Mm-hmm. Yellow has no place in here. Green, no. Pink, orange. None of that works there. So you needed that, just needed that sad overtone in there. Um, and it just, it, the lighting in this, with its use of shadows, with its use of creating those, that dim, you know, it created a small space. It gave us that idea of a small space. Did a great job of communicating the complexity and rawness of these emotions there.
1: Right. Well, and something that is really ignorant that I'm about to say, based on the title, I sincerely thought there was going to be a skylight, Um, you know, and in getting into it, I realized that that's not, you know, that's not this show. But I think it does lend itself to start thinking about, um, and I think this bleeds into the direction, is why is this show called Skylight? You know, and I think that the direction is going to be the thing, and the story and the um, the, co- the the script are going to be those things that kind of lead itself as to why the author would have chosen that name for the show. And that's something that's always stood out that for me in this show. That is a
0: really, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like sitting here, I'm listening to you, and I'm like, oh, well, the answer is, and I'm like sitting here going. I have no, I need to go back and reread the script.
1: So this is what I'm going to propose as to why it's called Skylight. So follow me on this journey. When you think of a skylight, what does that mean for the people who have a skylight?
0: What does it mean? There's nobody above them.
1: Mm Mm-hmm and (laughs) sorry we live in
0: in an apartment right Right?
1: but so does she she lives kind of you know in a densely populated area so there's
0: nobody above you and you're probably wealthy then you're at the
1: top well but also you have a glimpse of the sky but there's something in between it means that the beauty of what is and what men you know man has always looked to the sky and wondered what else is out there right but so with a skylight It gives you the opportunity to be able to see what is beyond. But there is physically something in the way from you going beyond, right? Mm -hmm. So with this show, I think it's a lot of that thing with that relationship where the skylight, it's called skylight because even with our relationships, sometimes there's just something that's just in the way that we can still see through. That's stopping us from reaching that full potential on the other side.
0: That's deep. You know, I try. I, I'm, <laughs> we're gonna have to read the play and see how that lines up. You have you have left. You have asked a question that's going to fester. <laughs> that, yeah. But back to the direction. I'm gonna steer us back. I love the direction. I loved. The the great use of space and simple touch to communicate intimacy and tension. And I think that's a really important thing to point out. This show, given its, its subject matter, you know, there's an affair. So there's clearly lust and love as well. Well, and sorrow. Well, yes. But but what I mean is like there's... If they If I remember it, right, they do end up going to bed together in the second act. Memory serves me right. Yes. There's not. It's not about the physical part of the relationship. It's not about the sex. But it's more about the intimacy. It's about that space. It's about what did that brush on the arm mean. It's about what does that hand on the shoulder mean. Well, or having his head so close to her neck. Or them sitting on the couch. Or just that beat. That breath in between a line. What does that mean. And for the director to understand. That. The dialogue is important, but there's even more emotion in these smaller moments in the stillness
1: Well, and something that I have heard recently that's kind of festered in my mind recently for that word <laughs> is what is intimacy? you know because a lot of people will think that intimacy, like the male perspective, tends to be that intimacy equals sex. And females tend to think that intimacy equals emotion, right? But it really is all kinds of mixed up and jumbled together and exactly. what intimacy is is a combination of all of those but it has to be defined on the peop-
0: defined by, by the, people. the people who are experiencing the intimacy that's what it's a subtext of the show and that's why like it was organic but you could see that there was like a hand almost like painting the picture of it mm-hmm. so when the moment when care when kira is cooking And Tom comes over and there's just a moment where he's standing at the counter and he says something. He looks over and she just stops because she can feel him there. Uh Her back's to him, but he can feel her. And he can feel, she can feel him looking at her. That's intimacy. You know, anyone who's been in a long-term relationship knows when you can just feel the other person nearby. And all of a sudden they show up. That's intimacy. Intimacy. (laughs) Right there. When you just, you can sense your partner's nearby. And that's happening. And what I loved is through that intimacy and through that stillness, it evoked the power and intensity of their troubled relationship. Where they, where Kira wanted to be done with it, possibly, and Tom wanted to rekindle it, and then Kira's realizing she kind of wanted to. It's realizing that the relationship still exists. So yeah, I mean, that's, and that's good directing to me. Um, also along with it, the pacing was really, really beautiful. And that's, that added to the org- organicness and the realness. You know, it never felt too fast, too slow. You, this, I mean, I, I know it's cliche or maybe it's overused, but you know when you feel like, I feel like a fly on the wall. This really did feel like a fly on the wall moment because it didn't feel rehearsed. It didn't feel scripted. You really felt like Carrie Mulligan and Bill Nye were having a conversation and we were all privy to it. Mm -hmm. This didn't feel like scripted responses or anything like that, which I loved. Uh, Mm And I would have I I would love to be in a position someday when I could go see a work like this like five days in a row just to see how the breath the pauses change. Because you know that, I mean look, we've talked about this on Whisper in the Wings a lot. We've talked about this on other episodes of Stage Whisper on the Broadway Bulletin. There is a character, there's a cast member that doesn't get acknowledged in the playbook but that does exist. And it's the audience. Mm-hmm.
1: The audience is
0: going to affect how the actors, they, do, they perform, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I love that it just, everything just felt real, you know? I know that they, they hit marks when they needed to hit marks, but it didn't, it just felt
1: well, natural. I, well, because here's the thing. That's the play. The actors are playing with uh, yes. the characters. But I mean,
0: it's, <laughs> it. It look it's easier said than done. I mean, what's funny is you go to school to learn to get a degree in in acting, and you spend so long studying the craft of acting, only to get to the end and be told, "Okay, now don't act. Let it just mm-hmm. be natural." It's like, are you kidding me? But I mean, to an extent, the ability to fool the audience, I guess. Into thinking what you're doing is real, to to have them buy into the idea that this is real, is incredibly difficult, mm-hmm. because you have to act, you have to act at such a high level that it's just borderline melodramatic,
1: or believing it is actually happening to you.
0: Right. Because, I mean, the best way I've been told is um, when people get told act like someone who's drunk, most people overact that to the nth degree, and you're like, no one. No one who gets drunk goes and, you know, sloshes around. But when someone actually plays like a good drunk, they're just on the border of overacting. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm like, that's the difficult part in it. So for them to be able to just portray this brilliant, like we've been together for 30 years or something like that. And it's like, how do you do that eight times a week? It's so beautiful. That deep connection that they formed is amazing. You know, again, knowing what we know now versus what we know then, this these two actors remind me a lot of Hugh and Sutton. Mm-hmm. I feel like they really took the time every day before a show to check in, to connect, to make sure that everything was real on stage.
1: Well, and the fact that they could trust each other to do that is brilliant and also is a good argument as to why intimacy directors are crucial to works like this. Because basically, that intimacy director is there not to direct the scene or the intimacy. They are there to protect the actor, the person behind the character, to make sure that they feel safe, that they can do these things without getting lost in the character.
0: Exactly. It's a mental
1: health protection. It's it's not
0: about, I need a safe space, blah, 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 no, it really is about, like, if I'm going to risk things or if I'm going to take, if I'm going to be vulnerable, I need to feel safe. I need my partner to feel safe. We need to feel safe. We need to make a safe, create a safe space to the best of our ability. It, there's no harm in bringing someone who knows what they're doing. It's, there's no harm.
1: The show has had several notable performers, including Matthew Beard, Bill Nye, and Carrie Mulligan.
0: So let's now talk about the impact the show has had on the theater and its history. As for Theatrical Impact, it was a brilliant work, you know. It's just a great work to commit to the tomes of theater. I just I mean it's a, a good m. story. Yeah. Um also it was a huge hit on Broadway. As as you had mentioned way back during the groundwork, um, it was basically nearly sold out. Uh if memory servicing right, the average capacity was ninety three or 95 percent full house which for a play that's really impressive now i know Uh it was a limited engagement with some star power but still that's really really good um so that's a huge hit on broadway that's all i kind of came up with for theatrical yeah
1: it's, it's another one of those that its impact is the fact that it exists yeah
0: For societal impact, for me, it it brought a real experience or relationship on stage and to audiences. And the thing that I kind of think of is like Stephen Sondheim was one of the first, if not the first musical composers to write a show that put real experience or issues that audiences were trying to escape on the stage. So when these audiences were coming to the theater and they thought, I'm going to escape all these troubles that I'm having, Stephen Sondheim's was like, mm, just kidding. Here you go with company.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I feel like with this show, you're kind of getting the same thing. I mean, not everyone can necessarily have the shared experience. I've never had an affair or or been in that situation. Um, I'm going to go on a limb and say, I think that goes for you. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> We've been together over 15 years. I'd like to think that I know you well enough to know that. But, you know, there are probably people who have gone, who went to the show, who had an affair, were having an affair, maybe went through the exact same thing. And it's like, if you're coming to the theater just to escape, LOLJK, not all theater is an escape show a lot of theater out there is to hold up a mirror, to remind you of what the world is like out there, to challenge your opinion or thoughts or ethics or things like that. Right.
1: Well, and with a show like this, it's really, you know, the impact is that society is reminded that life is complex. Yes. And that's sometimes a reminder that we need, because I know sometimes I'll get on my high horse and be like, oh, well, you know, well, people who are cheaters are just bad people. And it's like, well, actually... Life is not black and white. There are so many shades of gray in between.
0: You start to wonder, what would you do in that situation? Mm -hmm. Kind of thing. And I think you're exactly right with um, society being complex. I mean, I think the show definitely showcased a modern relationship. And, you know, we, we, I wouldn't say we made the joke about, like, you know, smash the patriarchy, but I would definitely say, you know, this is a show that, in my experience, a lot of shows about affairs, for instance, kind of go back to the 40s, 50s, and 60s where it was playful, it was fun, it was fodder. Mm-hmm. This one's showing the real effect of an affair.
1: Well, and yeah, and the emotional impact of multiple parties involved.
0: Exactly. And I'm just like, I love that it's basically saying maybe this isn't all fun and and kitschy kitschy like we, we've played in the movies sometimes. And it's time that we own up that there is, there are real um, collateral damage that takes place.
1: And people have to live with that. They go on living with that collateral
0: damage. So let's ask the big question Is the show still relevant? I love the story and love the deep and intricate emotional connection between the two characters. This makes it perfect for theater from regional to collegiate and especially for regional. As far as Broadway goes, I would also say yes to the show being so relevant. I would like to see what a diverse cast and design team could do with the material and what a new interpretation would be like able to show. And I know that just, I I feel like I keep saying that, but what would a POC production of the show Mm -hmm. look like? Do, how could it change the meaning? I, I really be interested because as we've talked about the show, it's been primarily people of, you know, caucasian people who've done the show so what if we made it a, a people of color show
1: and what kind of subtext con, subtextual conclusions would that draw exactly us to?
0: because you're you're dealing with a whole another group of people and their experience and their cultural right. experience and their societal because their
1: life experience would play differently exactly subtextually because they carry the weight of that cultural you know different like that the way that we're brought up um you know, has an impact on the weight we carry around as people.
0: Exactly. And it's been 25, 27 years since the show premiered. I would love to see what a, a younger director can do with this work. Because the way we view this, the idea of, of affairs and marriage and things like that has changed in, since the play was written. Mm-hmm. So what can a younger director do with that? what what new what new ideas or or little microcosms can we get out of it so i think it's relevant i anyone out there who's looking to do a new play like let's see what we can do here you know
1: We wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show.
0: So we had the good fortune of getting to see the show in 2015. And I loved the show. I really did. This, you know, we were previously on on this particular escapade out to New York and seen On the 20th Century the day before. Now this is a matinee. And I was like, cool. Two shows in a row. Winning. Cha-ching. I was really invested in the story. I thought that not knowing about what the show was going to be and everything. And I mean, I was really getting warmed up to play. I was like, yeah, plays on Broadway are really great, you know? Um, but this was one of the first that I just was like, cool, we'll just buy a ticket to a play. Why not? And I like, I was so blown away and I was like, cool. So this is what the world, I, I, I was shedding off my naivete. Um, and then meeting Bill Nye and Carrie Mulligan after the show was incredible. They're both so nice. Mm-hmm. They're both, so, uh, Carrie Mulligan especially. She's so sweet and humble and just tiny. <laughs>
1: I hate to say this, but I really liked meeting them and hearing them speak in their British accents. I liked it. I love a British accent.
0: Well, and they, I mean, they use it on the stage, obviously, but it was different on stage than it was in person. Yes. You know, because obviously the diction and and probably the certain accent they were going for, a regional dialect, kind of like we have here in the States. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they were just, they're very kind.
1: You'll be able to catch Skylight at a theater near you sometime soon, hopefully.
0: We also want to remind you that you can now become a producer and patron of the show by getting your backstage pass or by leaving a monthly tip in our tip jar.
1: Information about our backstage pass can be found at patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod.
0: So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you.
1: you like what you hear please leave a five star review like and subscribe
0: you can also find us on facebook and instagram at stage whisper pod
1: and feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stage at gmail.com
0: our theme song is fox by music for wildlife other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and billy murray this episode is produced by sarah harley